When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ken Afsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. What's on my mind today? You guys. You guys are on my mind today. What a wonderful community that's sprung up here around Daily Thrones. I appreciate it greatly. And you guys sometimes just have more interesting things to say than I do. And uh, that's why I love going to the phones. It's another free-form day here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken, I know I'm a little late to the conversation, but I just want to chime in about worst tactical uh, mistake in Game of Thrones. Um, I do agree that Jon Snow going north of the wall and uh, the the um, Children of the Forest creating the White Walkers are two of the worst mistakes, but it really eats at me that Sansa did not tell Jon about the Knights of the Vale. Um, I get why she did it for story purposes, but military, thinking about a military strategy, like, yeah, you probably let your commander know that you've got a whole uh, cavalry waiting uh, to show up. Um, it would have sh- uh, changed the tide of that battle quickly. Um, Rickon may have lived. Um, Jon Snow almost died in that battle until the Knights of the Vale showed up. Um, everything could have gone a little bit differently. You would have caught Ramsay off guard and probably um, won that battle um, a little bit more easily than, than they did uh, in the show. Jeff, jumping into the conversation about worst tactical mistake and blunder in Game of Thrones, and it's never too late to join the conversation. Topics are here for you guys to jump to at all times, and I I love this one here, Jeff. I I don't think we should let Sansa off the hook. I think Sansa's grown into a fine leader, and she's going to make mistakes and still have to grow along the way. Every other character in a position of power that we love and adore has had that kind of growth uh, obstacles to their growths and, and blunders. And Sansa had a big one here. It is, uh, without a doubt, a weird decision of the story makers to say that Sansa had this uh, army, the Knights of the Vale, secretly recruited, and she says nothing to Jon Snow. Now, in story, if you really look in story, maybe not criticize the storytelling of it, in story, all right, you can say Sansa didn't trust Jon. Sansa didn't feel as though... She uh, could give him that information. It's like what Kevin was saying about season seven, about there's a lot of uh, lack of information or misinformation uh, shared with some of the characters. And this is going back to season six is that as well. Now, Sansa doesn't have to tell him, much like the debate in uh, The Last Jedi over Vice Admiral Holdo uh, not telling Poe her plans. And And that led to some death. All right. That sometimes happens in the, in the heat of the moment, field of battle. You make decisions, and maybe you cost. Uh, maybe it costs you, and you have to learn. I think Sansa learns from this. I think her and John do learn from this. But without a doubt, it was a tactical mistake. It almost cost them everything. The Knights of the Vale could have rode in to be picking up the corpses of Jon Snow and his army. It didn't work out that way. It was a great moment to a great episode. One a lot of people saw coming, but that's okay. Sometimes, like we talked about yesterday, those solutions are what we expect, but they still have to be the solutions. But I do agree that Jon Snow almost lost his life, again, because Sansa withheld this information. Now, again, has she learned? Would she do that again? I don't think so. 
And do I feel she had to tell him? No, I don't think she had to tell him anything. He wasn't being respectful of her, but it could have been costly, and that's something sometimes we can't overlook. Hey, Ken, it's Vic. Just checking in. I'm actually calling in from the airport. I'm heading to Southeast Asia on a little adventure. Koh Samui, Vietnam, and a few other spots on this trip. Anyhow, I'm calling in because my upcoming travel got me thinking if we're ever going to see other parts of the Game of Thrones world outside of just Westeros and Essos. I remember Arya saying once in Season 7 that her plan was to head west of Westeros to the edge of the world until fate ultimately brought her back to Winterfell. So question is, do you think that we'll ever see those untouched parts of the world in some way, shape, or form, either in the books or maybe in the upcoming prequel show? Would love to hear your thoughts. Vic calling in, and I love it, calling in from an airport as he's about to go traveling, seeing the world, having some adventures. We love that, and Vic is a regular caller here on Daily Throne. So, Vic, we wish you well and wish you a good trip, and hopefully we'll hear from you there. And it is a great question that I love I love touching upon, and I love trying to answer every now and then. We talk about Arya and her West of West. We talk about Jon Snow and maybe the idea that he would float so far north that we'd never hear from him again, that he would walk away from Raw, maybe beyond the lands of always winter. And I'm fascinated with the fact that this world, which I do believe George R. R. Martin has named Planetos, whether that was serious or not, it's something that's floating out there. But I love that this world is Westeros and Essos, two continents on a world that we believe is similar to ours. Uh, you know, I don't believe this is Earth. I don't believe that at all. It is, it is, it is something in, uh, itself. But it's, it's, it makes sense that we think that this world is round. Flat Earthers do not have a hold here. Um, it makes sense that there's something else going on. Essos seems to be connected to the other side. Doesn't necessarily wrap around. Now, if this, uh, and I'm staring at this uh, map hanging in my room right now as I record. You know, I, uh, you, you have to wonder what else is out there. And would we want to hear those stories? Would we want to follow Bilbo and Gandalf and Frodo at the end of Return of the King to see where they're going? Or is the mystery of it enough for us? That's, I think, the question that maybe we need to ask ourselves here in Game of Thrones. If you go uh, to, uh, you got Westeros, Essos, and, and Southos, and Northos, uh, or, or do we want to see what's going on on other continents and other uh, side uh, areas of this planet? I think I do. I think it's a little different than, say, the end of Return of the King. I think there's more out there. And maybe when this all wraps up, what else, what else, what else is out there ties into some of the things that are going on here? Maybe gives us some answers. There's enough history in these two continents for us to uh, spend years and years watching shows and reading books upon. But what else is out there? Is it too big? It takes us away from the characters we love, the histories we love. It's probably not going to be a House Stark to connect with, but it might be something else that we could connect with, connect with. It might be other characters and stories. And, and that is intriguing. I don't know if we'll see it here in A Song of Ice and Fire, even in the books, but prequel series, something else, I'm open to it. What do you guys 
thinking out there. What's your thoughts on the world outside of what we know? Hey, Ken. So with all your years of doing Game of Thrones media, you know, coverage, everything else, I'd love to know what the absolute weirdest theory you have ever heard was. There is some strange ones out there with Game of Thrones. And, you know, whatever it was, weird, gross, off-putting, I'd love to know what the strangest Game of Thrones theory that you've ever heard was in your time covering the show. Uh, thanks for taking the call, and I hope you're having a great day. Hey, Ken, just calling in response to Vic's call about exploring more of the world of Game of Thrones. I like how you brought up uh, Lord of the Rings with Frodo, Bilbo, and Gandalf going to the Grey Havens and whether or not it, fans wanted more from their story. And I kind of think of Return of the Jedi and the ending of that story with Han, Luke, and Leia. And did we want more? And obviously the fandom did. So the EU was started and we got plenty of more stories and adventures with those heroes. I think it could work with Game of Thrones, but we have to see who makes it out alive after this story wraps up. Um, depending on which characters survive, they may just hunker down and rebuild Westeros and no one's going to explore. So I think exploring other parts of Westeros would fit um, in prequel stories or maybe even sequel stories with brand new characters or very specific ones that might survive this. Like you said, Arya would be a great one to have her explore and follow. Um, and maybe there might be some other ones that people can chime in with, but I think it would be better as books versus a show. Hey, Ken. So kind of following up a little bit on Vic's question, something I would kind of want to see more of, because I'm, I'm someone that believes in season eight that Daenerys Targaryen is going to, in fact, die. And I, I do think it's possible if that happens that she will be reunited with Kyle Drogo and her you know, baby, like what she saw in the House of the Undying, and what I'm, what I would want to see maybe more of is that, is that, is a little bit more of that. Maybe this, this afterlife, this, uh, I don't know what exactly to call it, um, heaven, uh, purgatory, whatever it is. I kind of think that would kind of maybe be fascinating to see more of in season eight. Again, so I was just listening to Vic's call and then your response, and um, I, I think that what's west of Westeros is what's east of Essos. Um, I think George R. R. Martin has very specifically designed his world to reflect our own in many, many ways. Um, I think we, at the north end, where the two continents would meet on the west coast of Westeros and the east coast of Essos, we'd get kind of a Bering Strait type deal. Um, and then I think maybe, maybe down south there is something there that we're not familiar. Maybe George R. 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 Martin's version of... Uh, the Pacific Islands or something like that. Uh, I, I don't really know, but I don't foresee there being anything that we don't already know uh, hidden in that space. But it would be really cool. <laughs> that being said, it would be really cool. So I subscribe to the chance of there being something there, but I don't think it's very likely. So uh, thanks for taking the call. So three great calls talking about exploring... Westeros, exploring Essos, exploring Planetos. Yeah, this is, of course, inspired by our friend and listener, Vic, who is uh, just uh, left today traveling the world. We called to check in before this, talking about exploring this world. And good points by all. I, I think Jeff's got some good points that uh, we could be interested in hearing these stories, citing Return of the Jedi. Clearly, whether it's the movies we have now or the EU, we wanted to see their stories depends on who survives and i like the idea of books i think you could continue to really paint and build this world with new characters or familiar characters going to new places of this world with new characters uh over there 
I think a book would be interesting, exploring what's beyond. But uh, I agree with Thomas on some levels. Um, I, I think uh, I think sometimes, yeah, I think West uh, Aria or John is gonna gonna head on up past the lands of always winter and then find himself in a shy. I kind of like that idea that it's this maybe it's a tiny little planet. It's a wee little planet and it connects. It would be interesting too because I do kind of like the history just being contained to what we know and what we've heard and what we've read. The idea that maybe there's a whole other continent or two more, like we talked about, Northos and Southos, with their own histories, their own White Walkers, their own dragons, their own magics. Uh, it's almost too much to think of. I just want to think in small terms. Give me what we know. And then uh, Eric calling in, checking on the idea of heaven in Game of Thrones. Do we have that? I mean, we got seven hells, sure, seven heavens. And going back to Daenerys Targaryen, again, at this point, still look at Daenerys Targaryen, someone who's going to die. And is that vision from season two, vision from book two about seeing Khal Drogo, seeing what's beyond, is that going to come into play? Will we see that play out? I still think we are. I still think we can. But that's Daily Thrones for the day. Awesome calls tomorrow. And we'll continue the discussion. But right now, I'm going to dream about West of Westeros. And the lands of always winter and how it all connects. See you guys tomorrow here on Daily Thrones. It's a Valentine's Day edition here on Daily Thrones. Your quick look at the world of ice and fire. Game of Thrones can be considered at times a romantic show. The romance is, well, it's different. It's under the the cloud of political intrigue, magic, and dragons. But there is definitely love there. Uh, it is it's definitely a part of the show. It's part of the show's DNA. So I think it's only fair we talk about the sweet, sweet love in Game of Thrones here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken, since it is Valentine's Day, I wanted to ask, what do you think is the greatest love story in all of Game of Thrones? Uh, there's a lot of contenders, but I, I'm all, I've always been a sucker for the Romeo and Juliet type thing. You know, the, the forbidden love, you know, two people, on, two people on opposite sides. So I guess that's why I would probably go with Jon Snow and he grit. Uh, I, I really got caught up with them. I, I you know, love the way they came together. I love the way even, you know, when she died, I thought it was just beautiful the way he, he cradled her in his arms at the, you know, the Battle of the Wall. And I still believe, 100%, if Egret wasn't hit with the arrow, I, I still believe she was not going to shoot John. I, I do not believe she could do it. Yeah, what is the greatest love in Game of Thrones? Egret and Jon Snow, I think at the end of the day, have my vote. But I can't overlook, maybe it's a, a co-number one vote for Daenerys Targaryen and Khal Drogo. Uh, that was definitely the love that uh, captured the attention of a lot of people in season one, and and I think was a, a huge factor of the of the first season's success. Khal Drogo is loved by many, respected by many, and I'm talking about fans, fans of all kinds love Khal Drogo for a lot of different reasons. I've seen the most macho, macho of men who just love Khal Drogo because they see his strong side and how he takes care of his woman and rides into battle. And those are all things he does very well. And I've seen, I've seen women who just uh, look up to Khal for the way Khal Drogo for what he was, what he looks like, 
and yeah, a lot has to do with Jason Momoa, but also uh, the love that grew between them. Danny and Cal Drogo's relationship did not start out in the best of circumstances. To call it a, an arranged marriage is mm, being nice. It was not a great situation to start. And it, uh, it grew and formed who Danny is in a lot of ways. I think she learned so much, came into her own and, and, and found her own power and became the Khaleesi, became the queen, became the mother of dragons because of that relationship, not because of Cal Drogo directly. Uh, he has a lot to do with it, but she, under those tough circumstances, found herself in that relationship. She learned a lot from it. I think at the end of the day, relationships, that's one of the things you're supposed to do. You're supposed to learn from them, even the ones that don't work out. A lot can be said for the same, uh, same thing there with, with John and Egret. I think a, a lot of who John is now, Egret is responsible for a lot of that. She caused him to grow. She caused him to see things in a different way. And the leader that John is now has a lot to do with some of his DNA, a lot to do with the way he was raised by Ned Stark, a lot to do just with who he is. But a lot of it has to do with how he grew from his side uh, time north of the wall and specifically with Egret. It wasn't just love. It was puppy love. Hey, man, they took him to... He, she took him to that cave. He became a man there. He broke his vows, but it was something else. Uh, a good love and a good relationship will cause you to change, will challenge you, will cause you to grow, and I think that's what happened there. I also find it interesting that as we go into season eight, the love story all eyes are watching is, well... Danny and John. Now, I'm still uh, of the school of thought that that is uh, not exactly a relationship I'm working for, uh, rooting for, and want want to work out. I a uh, little little creeped out by a little bit still, but I know a lot of people are actually screw it, excited for it. So I find it interesting that John and Danny, these two main characters who are. Uh, in similar positions, almost not not two sides to the same issue. There, they're they're similar. They're both working towards the same thing, but they're both kind of these chosen ones, these big powerful rulers with uh, people at their side. People believe in them. They've come a long ways. They've grown. Go back to episode one of season one. A lot of it is about John and Danny on their first steps. I find it interesting that they both have had similar relationships in their past. That. Uh, their loves, their true loves, their first loves, both died tragically. And the, the lessons from those relationships are somewhat the same and that they found themselves in those relationships. That is interesting. There's other loves in Game of Thrones as well. I think we should pay some, uh, some, uh, some, some homage to. I think Oberyn Martell and Hilarious Sand. I think you can't, uh, can't deny they had a pretty passionate, wild life together. Uh, though it ended tragically, you can look back with no regrets. But, of course, Laurie Sand, she's in a tough situation now. Um, you could also, to me, look at Ned and Catelyn Stark. Talisa and Rob on the show was an interesting relationship. And, I guess, Jamie and Cersei. It is a relationship. There is love there. You sometimes don't want to stop and think about it. But, you know, it's there. Shay and Tyrion were also there for a while. That one was good. That was good for a bit. And it turned turned dark. Love is in the air. Love is strong. Love is everywhere in Game of Thrones. So what do you guys think? What is your favorite relationship? Favorite example of true love in 
Game of Thrones. There's romance buried beneath all that violence. Hey, Ken, thinking of characters that were omitted from the show that were in the books that I would like to see, uh, top of my list is definitely Griff and Young Griff. I'm very excited to see where that goes in the books. But seeing as we've already kind of covered that, um, I'm going to go with my second choice, and that's Victarion, um, another character who is still very active in the books, and we're very curious to see what he's going to be doing. Um, it would have been a great addition to the show, and it would have been nice to see them have Euron actually be Euron and not have him have attributes that Victarion has in the books. Obviously, they combined characters to make it easier for the writing and the viewers and the filming, uh, but Victarion would have been a very, very cool option, or a very character, very cool character to see in the show. Um, he's got a pretty cool arc right now where he's at in the books. It would have been great to see that on screen. He's a tormented character. We would have gotten to understand how crazy Euron really is because of what he's done to Victarion. Uh, but yeah, that is my choice. Victarion Greyjoy. Jeff with a great call. Following up on something we were talking about the other day here on Daily Thrones. Book characters that we uh, missed from the show. And a lot of them, yeah, when you, when you break it down, you can kind of understand why they don't translate to the show or don't make it to the show and often characters are combined and that's that is what is going on with Euron Greyjoy and I understand it like Jeff said I understand it the the Greyjoy storyline is present in the show but it's it's not undercut you know if if you're familiar with the books the book Greyjoys and the show Greyjoys I think you get it there it's there it's present it's important Theon has some part in the story but it isn't as full as it is in the books. And that's okay. Some people I know just don't like the Greyjoy stuff, even in the books. But there's there's some interesting stuff there with the Greyjoy family and the Greyjoy brothers, which includes Balon Greyjoy, uh, Aaron uh, Greyjoy, the damp hair, and then uh, Victarin and Euron. And they clearly combined Euron and Victarin on the show. But it still leans, I think, a little more towards Euron. But Victarin is a, Victarian Greyjoy is, is a, uh interesting character who has... Where he is right now in the books at the end of book five, it, it's one of those things, kind of like with young Griff and old Griff, where I'm like, how how does this work without him? I wonder, and then, well, there's a lot of changes I can agree with, but I just wonder, could they have just given it that try? Brought in the Brothers Greyjoy. Euron, Victorian, you got you got Aaron there. We had Balon. Is it that hard to follow along? Like, I understand the Yara Asha name change, all right? That's that's fine. We had a Osha, we have Asha. A little confusing, Yara, Greyjoy, it's all good. It's not big. Not a big deal to me. The core of the character was still there. But I think we can follow along with the idea that there's two more uh, Greyjoy brothers showing up. Both uh, trying to carry on the Greyjoy name. Both maybe not overly happy with Balon and both, both with their own uh, kind of agendas. I think it could have worked. Now, uh, where the show stands now, Euron is, a, to me, an interesting character. He's not a great character. I think he's a really good character. Um, but I think it's because, in some ways, he is uh, amped up and has other bits of storylines. In other, other ways, I think Euron Greyjoy is actually kind of uh, tempered and, and, and less manic and evil and crazy than he is in the books. And so it's this weird kind of thing. That's what I'm saying, where the Greyjoy, Greyjoy storyline is there. It is important. It is on the show. It is present. But it's not as as full as the book. So Victorian Greyjoy is a great answer and one of the characters. I am very interested to see where he goes in book six.
Hey, Ken. I just wanted to say one more thing about Season 7 and Game of Thrones as a whole. I think that the greatest thing about Game of Thrones is that it gives you these epic fantasy moments and these medieval magical stories, but while also subverting your expectations. We've been, like, programmed to think, expect something in this kind of fantasy setting to happen a certain way, but then Game of Thrones puts a twist on it. But while these, these epic moments are still happening, the things we want to see, they still happen, but in ways we weren't thinking they were going to happen, and with characters we didn't expect them to happen with. And I think that's one thing with Season 7. I think it had a little bit too, too many of those typical fantasy moments that we expected to happen, and it happened the way we were expecting. I think that could just be a problem with closing out the series as a whole, and hopefully that's not an issue we have in Season 8, but I think that is one of the main issues with Season 7, in my opinion. Billy Cullinan, to close out our broadcast day with a, a good point that I think uh, a lot of people have about Season 7. I hear it time and time again, and that's why I'm looking forward to really studying Season 7 again, is that Game of Thrones is built on subverting expectations, as Billy said. And, uh, well, Season 7 didn't do that. Sometimes uh, it might be the choices made by the producers and the writers and the directors, and, and that was where a lot of criticism sometimes gets tossed back at Dan and Dave. Um, and I, I understand that too, but I also, and Billy touched on it there, and that's what I really want to focus on, is sometimes I just think season seven and, and even six, and, uh, and I'm worried even it could be an eight, we're just seeing where uh, solutions, resolutions, the end, it's all coming together. The story is drawing to a close, and sometimes that leads to answers we know we're going to get answers we're supposed to get it's just the way it's supposed to go and and game of thrones is built on hey you thought it was going left well now it's going right and well it's like i use the example of the wall coming down a lot of people knew this was happening predicted we're excited and then when it happens people are like well i knew it was coming and that is the problem that game of thrones has right now it has the weight of its own success on its shoulders it has taught us that we know nothing and now we know things, and that makes it hard sometimes to uh, enjoy because it seems predictable. But I wonder if that's also just because it's the end, and that's what happens at the end. Things happen that we saw coming a long time ago. Guys, that is it. We'll close our Valentine's Day uh, show. But if you still have thoughts about love and Game of Thrones, we'll take the calls and talk about it tomorrow. We will always always take calls from any topic we've covered here on daily thrones that's it you can listen to this on the daily podcast on stitcher apple Podcasts, google play follow me on twitter at ken knapsack we can talk game of thrones using that hashtag daily thrones that's it guys remember you know nothing <laughs>